I V M. Hi, we're Team Splano. Welcome to an all-new episode of Press Decode, a weekly podcast where we take Splano's mission to declutter the news one step further. We take the biggest, most interesting news stories of the week and break them down so you don't have to struggle with insane news pollution. Check out our newsletter for more stories and follow us at Splainer Inc. to keep up with all the fun things we plan for our Splainer fam. So sit back, relax, and don't let the news give you the blues. I'm Sarah and I have with me Adya, Vakta, and Ragini. Take it away, Adya. Hi. I'm Adya. I graduated with a degree in political science and psychology, ready to change the world one opinion at a time. I'm the bubbly cheerleader friend who's constantly battling the stereotype that a vegetarian foodie is an oxymoron. Current favorites: Dilchata hai, bubble tea, and a Facebook page called Indians on Tinder. Let me know if you all want invites. It's incredible. Yes, thank you. Yes, Hi, I'm Vagda. I'm a lawyer and a morning person who struggles to sleep on time. a hopeful lobbyist for the introduction of the silly face acrobatics in the olympics this might be controversial but i am both a cat and dog person mostly at the receiving end of everlasting pop culture recommendations to which i politely say i'm adding to my list but there is no list this is not to discount the fact that i fell hard hard for the hot priest in flea bag like the rest of the world hi I'm Ragini and I'm what you get when a kid who watches too much TV ends up getting good grades. Basically, I'm a pop culture nerd to the extent that in my final year of uni, I went as Zeitgeist for Halloween. Anyway, one of the greatest philosophers of our time has said, "Pop culture was an art, now arts and pop culture." This was of course Lady Gaga. I'm Sarah, your host for the day, and given how cynical I sound most times, you think I'm 40ish, but I'm all of 21. Some say I'm funny. Some others would say I am the joke. Um, what can I say? The current state of affairs demands that one has ample reserves of humor, whatever be their source. Today, we have three segments for you, starting with our big story, where we will talk about mental health in sports, given everything that is happening at the Olympics. In our food for thought segment, we will look at the economics of box office versus OTT releases. Uh, in the wake of Scarlett Johansson's big Disney lawsuit, and in our final segment, we will either roast or toast our fave or least fave news stories from the week that was. And <laughs> fair warning, I am the designated grumpy cat. On that promising note, let's begin our big story. <laughs> um, I think I just come with fair warnings. So, fair warning number two: I am one hundred percent a sports noob from. Anyone who knows me can tell you that. Same. Lovely. <laughs> But the biggest news is the Olympics, and considering we're in news, and honestly, even though you don't need to know sports to understand some parts of it, and I have been very intrigued by the whole everything that's been happening. And this year, something very different caught all our attention when we've been talking. The usual idea of sports has always been glory, grit, ambition, all of that. And for some, it's honestly just their safe haven where nothing in the world matters when they're on the playing field. But this year, and it's honestly been a year, a lot of things have changed. And I think the most interesting conversation has been a flurry of athletes like the gymnast Simone Biles, tennis star Naomi Osaka, cricketer Ben Stokes. All of them have publicly spoken about the toll their mental health takes on performance. 
And they've actually got to the extent of on the immense like public limelight and in an international forum, withdrawn from participation from various games and events. Mm-hmm. At the Olympics specifically, Biles has been front and center of the conversation, considering she's literally tagged the greatest athlete of all time. And thus immediately, I think, comes the baggage of unrealistic expectations of straight up perfection. And that coupled with like the pressures of the pandemic in terms of loneliness, grief and loss, and just adhering to the 555 COVID norms that mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. Like, I think for a normal person without all that pressure, it's been a hell of a year. For sure. So it is bound to take a toll and it did. So she withdrew from all events for an individual final saying she couldn't toughen up anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's when this conversation began because a four-time Olympic champion who has always just won performed a watered-down vault during a team final. And that got her thinking, you know, I'm not in my best shape and maybe I don't need to toughen it up. So she decided to sit it out for the rest of the events for her own sanity. Eventually, a week or so later, she did participate in the individual balance beam finals. And uh, she even managed to secure a bronze. But the question still remains, what does it mean and what does it take for Olympians and other crazy important sports stars who are at the peak of their career to just say, hey, it's okay not to be okay. Hey, that's our pop culture reference. (laughs) Can I just start off by saying that I think, first of all, the Tokyo Olympics are historic for the highest number of openly queer athletes that participated. And I know in the grand scheme of things, 168 isn't an insane number. But moving from like sex testing, which is basically fundamental like violating your fundamental rights, Mm -hmm. like privacy, dignity, health, discrimination, all of that. Like that persisted until 1998 to forcing women athletes with high testosterone to take medication to reduce those levels. This is some form of progress. And even though trans athletes were allowed to participate as early as 2004, none had ever participated until 2020, until literally this Tokyo Olympics, which is insane, right? Like, It was either due to specific country bans or rules or medication testing, stuff like that, that I just, you know, talked about. Mm -hmm. But even then, like inclusion doesn't guarantee a safe space because the entire culture of sports is just built around binaries of gender Mm -hmm. where male athletes should adhere to their masculinity Mm -hmm. and female athletes should move away from their femininity Mm -hmm. to be better at their game. And so like if either of those identities are contested, it's noted as a breach of conduct and that person is then less than welcome. And I think this off-the-field inclusion is has a severe impact on mental health. And I actually want to bring in a little bit of mental health for female athletes. As Sarah mentioned, the Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles sparked a much-needed conversation around mental health and taking time off and have it being okay to not be okay, um, which is usually seen as like a weak stand in sports, right? And more so when it's coming from women because almost expected that because we're the weaker sex we are unable to handle the pressure and all of that but i personally think that it's it's about the whole culture that's built up of like you can't back down you have to keep going because that's where strength lies but like so men i think are more afraid to speak up about their struggles because they don't want to be seen as weak as you know sensitive and so the emotional burden of 
even talking mental health and the pressure that can have on you and your performances yet again falling on the women to start the conversation which has happened in this case like first of all for women making your way up to the creme de la creme crowd is a feat because there's let's start with the sexist and predatory nature of coaches and lack of institutional support in most instances we've seen with like hockey cricket games that are given so much importance to men in india like women you can like i don't think any of us can name even five cricketers or five women hockey players right wrong panel so like <laughs> there we go <laughs> even if it was the right panel i yeah, highly doubt fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, right yeah. like which is which is so upsetting and i think the choice of adopting sports as a career for people whose bodies are changing so rapidly right from the beginning like the concept of menstruation is barely brought up in sports i think it's now slowly you know being talked about yeah. even in sports circles but so far it's not ever been voiced as a concern like i read an and also i read an article in the hindu recently i'll put that link in our bio which spoke of young girls from rural areas who were taking up sport to avoid the pressure of marriage just think about that like it's like a totally valid plan i'm going to think about it <laughs> <laughs> oh. but like can you imagine the like how where does that connect yeah. like you know this itself again for them like put so much pressure and it reinforces this idea that they just can't back down they have to make it it's either sports career or marriage <laughs> like that's true what kind of a choice is that yeah i think for generally for women the stakes are high but anyway like mental health itself the struggle of mental health is a taboo in yeah. india and most other places also in india specifically at least because we know that we know that better and more so in sports because in public perception athletes are just equated with endless resilience you know yeah. Yeah. Oh we can't we can't seem to separate mental health from toughness i can't be tough anymore because mm. it's not the same thing mental health is different from toughness mm-hmm. i mean you get trolled for losing how much of a wimp are you going to be for not even competing yeah. can you imagine the kind of trolling that would happen on twitter you lose you you're told like crazy in india for example the earliest athletes to talk about the subject was robin uttappa in 2018 and this is when he had been suffering from mental health struggles since like 2011 he struggled for 5 years it took so much time for him to heal and then he finally spoke about it in 2018 and then slowly conversations around mental health are now getting into the sports scene in india with mm. virat kohli sachin tendulkar somehow it has just so happened that mostly the conversation or reportedly the conversations around mental health in india have been from men surprising surprisingly or yeah oh my god or i don't know what kind of a yeah i don't know what that means but it's interesting yeah it's a very interesting contrast with the international yeah. conversation and the indian conversation yeah but i also think it's like robin othpa start like she he was struggling since 2011 it took him 5 6 years to speak up true versus like simone biles who was like i'm facing this is what's happening to me yeah at this point of time so yeah these guys even virat kohli and tendulkar spoke about their struggles with loneliness that came that comes along with being treated as cricketing gods you know yeah with yeah. the fame hmm and abhinav bindra for example spoke about how he struggled with depression after winning his olympic gold like now he's feeling directionless because the one aim of the primary aim of his life is now done so now what do i do you know that kind of a thing so in like 2018 you know ioc recognized this they sat down with 23 experts from 13 countries 
and reviewed almost 15,000 published articles on elite athletes. And then they came out with a toolkit on that. But also they found from these articles that 33.6% of elite athletes reported symptoms of depression and anxiety. That's one third. Yeah, that's insane. And one in six international athletes from the field of athletics reported suicidal thoughts. Now, it makes sense because imagine the kind of public scrutiny they go through. You know, Mm. Bindra once said, Mm. how many times a year do you have to go through an appraisal at your office? Once. For athletes, multiply that by the number of tournaments they play in a year. Their abilities are judged as frequently as every week. Oh my God. Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, a lot of these IPL players who then are picked up for the Indian team, like first they perform in the IPL. If they don't, like, if they perform well in the IPL, then they have to perform in like a T20 that's international. Then they perform in a one day. Like it just never, it's never ending for them. Like where is their break and where is their, exactly you know, take it easy. This is just of the meme that uh, Vagda sent on our group that day where she was like, do what you love and you will never work a day in your life. But that's been striked out. And it just says, do what you love and you'll work super hard all the time with no separation of any boundaries. And I guess, yeah, these are people who do what they love, right? But But you don't know that. Maybe they chose it because they didn't want to get married. Sure. Vagda is very convinced on the idea of maybe now is a good time to pick up sports. (laughs) (laughs) She's just making this a personal agenda for herself. (laughs) I'm I'm glad. Prestige is going to have like an Olympian. The thing is, before I get into Olympics, I need some better sports psychologists. Uh, in this country, which at this point is is barely any recognition that it is needed. There are very few and far between. There's no actual licensing of sports psychologists. There are very few schools who actually even offer courses on sports psychology. So up until then, maybe marriage. (laughs) You know, speaking of like sports psychology, I saw this TED talk by a clinical sports psychologist. We'll link it in the description because it's actually it's really good and Basically, in the TED Talk, the sports psychologist, she's talking about something called a culture of champions. And she explains how athletes or she calls them aspiring champions. They are actually never taught that it's okay not to be okay. They are simply taught how to win and how they need to feel and act in order to win. Right. So she uses this really good example of how if any boss spoke to their employees the way certain coaches speak to their trainees they would have HR on their backs like if you're treating it as a profession there are certain safeguards in place for employees in other professions right yeah mm-hmm. now you have people you have people criticizing athletes for being unprofessional if they if they decide to withdraw from a game or or even take some time off because of like mental health concerns and stuff it's just I don't know. I feel like yeah. Where is the professionalism of the coaches? Like yeah. that's not coming into into like public scrutiny. You know what else I was thinking? Like it's like there's you know for each of us there's it's like it's okay if you don't achieve all your goals. If it's okay if you're not like a CEO or a startup founder mm. by 26. But for sports people, if you have started at 15 and if at 25 you're not where other athletes are, there's something wrong with exactly. you. Exactly. This added expectation. And I think, so like Vagda said, right, in public perception, athletes are seen as the epitome of physical fitness. And because of that, they are rarely given the space to be human. But what's worse is that sometimes this unfair expectation even gets internalized by many athletes. Because again, like she, 
it, she mentions that in this culture of champions, you basically only have worth if you're a champion. And I think taking from where Adya came in, you also have very limited time to become this champion. Like the prime of your physical health is exactly very limited. Mm. I mean, because okay, so, if we look at like what happened with Simone Biles, right? So for people who haven't kept up with the story she spoke to Washington Post about experiencing the twisties which is basically when a gymnast loses control of their body when they are in the air right and when she spoke about this a lot of gymnasts came out in her support and shared their own experiences because apparently it's something that is very common for gymnasts to experience when they are under stress or duress or whatever reason it's a very common reaction for their bodies to have to stress Okay look I am no gymnast but that sounds terrifying like being up in the air doing whatever gymnasts do ting ting whatever that's my definition of whatever wow I don't know but like that sounds flying in the air terrifying imagine being like doing uh, dude what do gymnasts do you know, you get my you get my flow yeah like you know what i mean like but coaches cuz we have zero pressure to give Yeah right imagine yeah. I'd like just go up and do ting 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 imagine how happy my team <laughs> would be but no like people were quick to call Simone Biles a quitter and they blamed her for like abandoning the US team to the extent that she even had to go on her Instagram and explicitly state that she wasn't quitting it's just very dangerous for a gymnast to perform in this yeah. state it's not right? the same thing as like any other sport i mean if you don't have your right mind what is going to happen to you if you if you're if you miss a shot in tennis yeah you're not going to break your neck right get it but like at the same time there's also like we say the culture of champions right it is pretty much life and death in sports if you're not performing at your peak so i feel like if you think you're not at your peak you shouldn't feel the distress of not being the best is it you know this like this simone biles example just really like I was just like look she is literally a chalta phirta blueprint for what it means to be a champion okay she has signature moves named after her again i am not a gymnast but i assume it's not easy to get moves named after yourself i mm-hmm. assume okay so if even if even a simone biles needs to come out and categorically state that she is not quitting rather she needs this time off for her mental well-being i think it's fair to question the culture a little bit of the culture of champions yeah it's make me think of all the like frat boy and this broy culture that we even have at colleges and like why there is such a like why is it such a brotherhood and because it's reinforcing this idea that you can't back like it doesn't give you the space to grow by yourself to be individuals to be people it's like if you are doing sports it doesn't give you sp- space to be vulnerable yeah and so which makes it a very a much more misogynistic space because there are so so much adrenaline and testosterone in that room that you're <laughs> like this is what it is this is that sounds terrifying to be honestly being in a room with that <laughs> oh frat boys on that note we come to the end of this segment we will be right back after a short break you're listening to press decode on the ivm podcast network Hello and welcome back to Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. We're Team Splainer and make sure you follow at Splainer in on Instagram and Twitter to keep up with the Splainer fam. Okay, let's get into our food for thought section. Scarlett Johansson versus Disney. Words that I couldn't really imagine in a sentence if not for this pandemic. Your, yours. Who's keeping track of time anymore? Anyway, 
The actor has sued Disney, the parent company of Marvel Studios, for simultaneously releasing her movie Black Widow in theaters and on Disney Plus in what is known as the hybrid release model. Her lawyers claim that this move is costing her approximately $50 million because earlier the movie was supposed to be in theaters for approximately 90 to 120 days, like exclusively in theaters, which didn't happen. Now, this hybrid release model is a product of the pandemic when studios like Disney didn't have much of a choice. So they released movies everywhere at the same time. And it worked in their favor for movies like Mulan and Raya and the Last Dragon. But these are animated flicks that don't necessarily have the celebrity pull like a Scarlett Johansson film. And her lawsuit points fingers exactly at Mm. something like this, where she says Disney basically used her as means to increase subscription for Disney+. Plus. And compete with like Netflix. Disney has obviously rubbished the claims and said that the model has allowed Scarlett to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million that she already has. They don't specify how much more she got. So yeah, this is a story of rich people and their rich problems. But it also got us thinking about what it actually means to have a new normal in the time of OTT releases. So Let's start with where do filmmakers actually make money from? Okay, so they make money Mm -hmm. from ticket sales, overseas rights, think Dangal making a lot of money in China, Mm -hmm. merchandising, think Star Wars merchandise, flight and music Mm -hmm. rights, uh, which is basically movies on TV and music, you understand. In film product placement, the protagonist is drinking Pepsi in the movie, but... According to a film trade analyst, 65% of a film's income comes from the box office, which is basically ticket sales. In comes OTT, where there are no ticket sales. Streaming rights are sold for an estimated amount of money, not based on ticket sales. Mm -hmm. Are filmmakers incurring losses because of this? Definitely not. But they're not making as much money as they used to. So heading to OTT straight only allows them to cover the costs with some bit left as profit. That's not how the movie business worked all this while. It was sort of like a bottomless gravy bowl of theater collections. Yeah. That's how it used to work. That's why I used to hear of like this whole 100 crore. That's why a movie could make that much money, right? Yeah, box office hits. That's why you literally call them box office hits. So then why? But then wait, where does like Scarlett Johansson and how, how do actors and the other crew, what does that, what does their payment model look like and stuff? So most of the crew works on a set fee, including most actors. The only exceptions are A-list stars, so rich people, who Mm. sometimes work on profit-sharing models with the producers. Because the A-listers are such a big pull, they sometimes opt for a lower-than-their-market-fee rate, along with a cut in the movie collection. And this may be based on other factors like where a particular um, star is popular. So Akshay Kumar, for example, insists on profits from the Punjab territory and others have such deals with UP really? and Bihar. Yeah. No yeah. way. That's so interesting. Almost want to make a Canada joke, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> but like if actors and filmmakers aren't losing much, none of them, like what is the problem? The problem here is exhibitioners, the organized and unorganized cinema halls who've like totally lost their revenue. The sector mm-hmm. employs like 2 lakh people. And last year, when the pandemic began, you guys must have heard of how Gulabo Satabo, this big um, Amitabh Bachchan mm-hmm. starer, yeah. it released only on Amazon Prime, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So at that time, there was a huge furore by all the cinema uh, hall owners 
multiplexes and all mm. criticizing the producers for going to di- for a digital release yeah. inox came mm-hmm. out with a public statement mm. condemning producers for leaving that. them out in hard times because all this while like for a century they've been working as partners with almost like a 50 50/50 revenue sharing model and now suddenly when they mm-hmm. have it hard they've just left the cinema hall yeah industry high out to dry so oh. what now yeah i i remember this episode and i very much empathize with that but, but i do also think that ott has brought some much needed democratization into the filmmaking industry oh that's for sure yeah like you know if you take actors like vikrant masi or radhika apte or shweta tripathi who are all mainstream actors i'm not saying these are some like very I unknown sort vikrant of people masi. so cute see <laughs> but like i think they're getting so much more screen time and so much more like so many more shows but they weren't on the silver screen but they're now all over our streaming platforms with like multiple releases like you know every second month i'm seeing a vikrant masi release and radhika yeah it's there every he's there in every movie that now comes on netflix yeah and also i i remember there being a meme about radhika apte it's like name yeah, some netflix yeah, movie netflix that's releasing that doesn't that have yeah, radhika apte netflix made it yeah about it. yeah netflix so, was fully capitalizing on yeah, yes yeah. we love her she loves mm-hmm. us and i think even more than that it's also giving a giving a chance to like smaller movie ecosystems like tollywood mollywood mm-hmm. kollywood that were otherwise limited by language like our audience the indian audience were all opening up to a world of subtitles with like my grandparents yeah. watching k dramas and spanish dramas and you know like regional language content because wow, your grandparents watch k dramas yeah yeah because it's like very slow serials Hey thanks I really enjoyed crash landing on you. <laughs> My mom started watching that also and she really likes it. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> But then again this like extensive consumption of 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 content allows more creation of jobs and more room for experimentation because you know there's a variety and a hierarchy of where you can showcase your film or your series like and there's something for everyone like i was saying i've heard so many of my friends talk about their grandparents being glued to the televisions and binge watching like through the night until like 5 am my dadi started using netflix because she wanted to watch dilip kumar movies imagine oh, oh. see what a fan girls so what a fan girl <laughs> so like also like honestly thanks to ott our pandemic was somewhat tolerable i know yeah. this is coming from a place of like someone who has the ability and Yes. able to you know access streaming platforms but oh my god yeah. and i think it also provides like that ease of watching whenever you want and you don't have to work your schedule around to fit in your favorite shows and like when we were kids guys okay you can't laugh but i remember literally sobbing to my mom one time when i missed an episode of sharaarat <gasps> who is <laughs> laughing sharaarat <laughs> sharaarat was legend thank you i was going to say ittu pittu that was a different show Let's not let's not get there because like my references will be a little too old for you. Yeah. Shrink breaks are bling. Yes, that's what it was. Root bhavishya vartaman bling. I used to love fruity chotis. My mom literally would be like I, every Sunday she would make me like fruity chotis guys. That's how obsessed I was. For sure I agree. It's I have grown up on Hindi movies as well. So like OTT content has been a blessing for me and the joy of watching a well-made Hindi web series is next level after what what goes on in like indian daily soaps and stuff for sure and yeah, yeah and it's like it like it allows more upcoming talent you know to showcase their work with like 
and it, it doesn't like it doesn't mean you have to start with some high flying like netflix or amazon prime release or whatever like you know there's so many platforms to choose from and there's i think lesser pressure for you to create just that one big hit and like you know that like that's your only chance because there's so much variety like and i said in hierarchy of like platforms where you can showcase your talent yeah so yeah that i think i agree ott has been getting a lot of mainstream recognition which is great because obviously we've been able to get access to all this amazing content but ah i was sensing a big butt you were sensing a big butt that's so nasty oh my god <laughs> guys so i just with the mainstream recognition there has also been mainstream criticism right which is fine of course if you're going to be exposed to a larger number of people there's going to be mm-hmm. more opinions but mm-hmm. again like the reason the very reason that we are talking about ott being better than movie halls is because the business aspect kind of got a little bit minimized and you could actually see art and talent and creative all these things which kind of get mm-hmm. you know minimized when business comes into Lost. play mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. but if just take the recent take the most recent controversy that happened with tandav okay when there were fir's that were filed against the show amazon prime actually cut scenes and even ended up apologizing now again i'm not talking about whether the scenes were objectionable or not forget that it's just we have to go with the assumption that if they were made in the first place someone believed in them someone saw value in those scenes right and again this was done mm-hmm. amazon cut these scenes at a time when there were no regulations that required them to do so it was a completely voluntary decision again like if adev was just talking about how there's uh, ott has brought diversity into content uh, into content but this tandav instance it just makes me a little bit paranoid because again like amazon prime had no backbone in the situation they treated it completely as a business decision you know they wanted to make sure that the least number of parties were upset at the end of the situation so then i'm like mm uh talking about amazon not having a backbone <laughs> so that was this uh, malayalam film called the great indian kitchen and it's basically this brilliant film please watch it it's going to make a lot of conversations at home easier harder anyway watch it super feminist if that's what you can say and they the filmmakers went to netflix and prime and got rejected by both i don't remember which one but one of them refused to even see the movie saying it's not our target audience it doesn't it's not our content the other one saw it and rejected it so eventually the filmmakers had to release it in another platform that's not as well known called neestream and a lot of people ended up pirating the movie and uh, to the extent of then realized that the filmmaker actually went through so much problem and very wholesome story and everyone started directly sending the filmmaker like the money that they would have otherwise paid to neestream to oh. say oh my god this mm. film was great and we know what you went through but it just it's from this cult thing it made a lot of national op-eds and everyone was eventually talking about the great indian kitchen yes, without I remember yeah exactly see without it being on like mm. on netflix or a prime yeah and fun story eventually amazon's like oh shit that was a great movie and they went and bought it <laughs> do you think if i haven't seen it still i should watch it on amazon i'm watching it on amazon it's like worth today it. it's brilliant it's it's brilliant i'm just so skeptical to trust these amazons and all because i i'm again i love the talent we've gotten to see it's amazing it's heartwarming it's brilliant but just a part of me 
cannot get myself to trust a corporation, man. I just eventually he'll use the money to go to space. Hena, that's my fear. That's the fear these days now. I think Ragini is missing her Maratha Mandir, uh, Shah yeah. Rukh Khan. Oh, mood. oh, I miss the big <laughs> screen. I'm not gonna lie, it's an experience. So, on that nostalgic note, we come to the end of this segment. We will be right back after a short break. You're listening to the Press D Code on the IVM Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Press Decode on the IVM Podcast Network. It's time for our final segment this week, Roast or Toast. And since I'm the self-appointed grump, I'll begin. <laughs> My least favorite item this week was Polymix, a TikTok-like app for argumentative college kids. Think Clubhouse meets TikTok meets your high school months of it. Hi, hi. Exactly. <laughs> Yuck. Oh my God, don't remind me. I am horrified at the thought of it. So this is how it works. Every polemics video features a person makes an argument for or against a preset list of questions, and the user scrolls. They're basically shown these videos for each question, and they can vote or scroll. It's basically all the top-notch, self-important kids who think they must have an opinion on everything put together. Also, oh, us, but but kids. But definitely these Ivy League types, <laughs> huh? I'm. That's what yeah. my assumption is only. Yeah, like as far as I remember, you have told us that you were one of these kids. What? Where is this hate coming from? Um, moving on very swiftly. Vagda, <laughs> uh, my least favorite actually uh, item is this from our Friday edition. Someone made a billboard with the French President Emmanuel Macron's face, depicting him as Adolf Hitler with the signature toothbrush mustache. Why? Because he announced, not Hitler, Macron, <laughs> announced a variety of fines on those who refuse to get vaccination. The president is suing the people who put the billboard. And what do we have? We have 25 people arrested over asking questions about our vaccine exports. Remember the posters in Delhi saying, <gasps> yeah. Modi ji, hamare bachcho ki vaccine videsh kyun bhej diya? Yahan mean, pe, we want vaccination. Yeah. And we get arrested for asking, where are our vaccines? And where are our vaccines, yeah. Anything here comes with a sprinkling of arrests. <laughs> sprinkling of arrests. <laughs> that is, yeah. Wow, that's sad. Okay, okay, that's very sad. Moving on to fave item. My fave item makes no sense, but I highly recommend everyone go over, which it was in our Tuesday edition. We link it in the description. I highly recommend everyone go and watch, uh, go and have a look. Okay, so it's a performance performed by a Toronto-based dance company called Corpus, and it's called it's called Les Moutons, the Sheep. And the description is a carefully studied surrealistic overview of sheep behavior. If this seems like something you are interested, even if it seems like something you're not interested in, I highly recommend you guys go and check it out. You will not be disappointed. Trust me. Okay, my favorite item. Sorry, I'm coming to a painting again. Clearly, I'm an uh, artist. But it was this painting called The Muse's Revenge by Ilya Milstein that subverts the notion of power held by a male artist using a female as his muse, right? So this painting basically contests the harassment and mistreatment of models through the figure of a faceless and nameless female who cannot be tainted by the male gaze. She's holding a gun pointed at a man who has fallen on his canvases and palettes and colors. And 
but basically check out the painting it's gorgeous honestly the link for the detailed analysis of this painting is in our bio and also please support more female artists True. the disparity between male and, male and female artists is massive True. even though a majority of the painted nudes are just those of women True. honestly yuck on that food for thought that was our show this week thank you so much for joining us on press decode you can catch us every thursday on the ivm podcast network and guys please remember don't let the news give you the blues <laughs> <laughs>